0: good morning grinders welcome to the dfs pregame show here on roto grinders i'm jordan cooper aka blender ed blender hd that's where you find me with the at symbol on twitter and this is the show where uh what the hell are we gonna do today i don't know what this is the show where we normally go over yesterday's slate there wasn't one and then we talk about today's slate and there isn't one so, uh, so it's kind of just us hanging out, talking about whatever you want to talk about. Kind of like a mailbag edition of the DFS pregame show. But I'm always here, live on YouTube. Hit that thumbs up button. You see the apple juice here. The apple juice, it's pretty cold. You have to give me those dummy thumbs to keep it that way throughout the show. Hit the subscribe button. If you're new, uh, hit the notification bell to know when we go live. And I'll be taking your questions from the YouTube chat. Pretty much it's all questions today. Question and answers. I see you guys in the YouTube chat. Zach Hobbs, Matt Mears, Chandler Cannon, Meat Plow, Guard Fan, Max Coach, Michael Papadopoulos, Dustin Hogue, Mar- Margie Yeezy, Yaz's Army, Gerald Miller, every, everything in the chat. So ba- basically this, this show is just, it's all chat. If you're here in chat and you have a question, ask it and I'll talk about it. We may get some stupid questions, right? You, you know me, there aren't any stupid questions, just stupid people. And there are a lot of stupid people out there that play DFS. But uh, well, we'll start with Michael Papadopoulos. Can you talk about soccer DFS? Oh, get a soccer question. And if, if you don't know, a lot of people don't realize that that's, that's where I started. Like first two or three years of me playing DFS, I was known as the soccer DFS guy. Most people are like, "Oh, I can't believe you play oh, you play soccer DFS." It's like, "Yeah, that's my that's my primary sport." If anything, uh, I'm always playing now. Now I don't necessarily play all the interleague slates and the smaller stuff and the showdowns anymore uh, because the, uh, the lobby's pretty small. So yeah, there's a lot more money in the major sports. That's why I expanded past soccer, but I do play uh, most of the main uh, Premier League slates many of the champions League slates but I used to play like Europa League if there was a soccer slate I played like every soccer slate but uh in, in soccer is correlation important that's what uh, Michael Papadopoulos is asking uh correlation soccer DFS is is, is a weird is is, is kind of just it, it's not I would say it's close to it's close to NHL it's a mix between like NHL and I don't know it's kind of, it's kind of weird because on DraftKings, at least. FanDuel, the scoring system is really different. Uh, on, on DraftKings, players could get enough peripheral points. There, are, there, are, You could have enough points in active play with crosses and chances created and shots and fouls drawn that some of those more active players or set-piece takers could actually score more than a goal score. A goal counts for 12 points in total. 10 for the goal, one for the shot, one for the shot on goal. But a lot of forwards are what we call goal dependent. Like they don't really do much other than, than get on the end of a cross. Like, they, you know, if, if they don't score a goal, a lot of times they end up with one point, two points, something like that. So they, they need, almost need a goal in order to make value. While they're more active wingers, fullbacks, set piece takers that could rack up eight crosses, three tackles, one, two fouls drawn, two chances created. And they're sitting there with like 10 points, 12 points, 15 points. And they don't have, they don't have a goal. They don't have an assist. They have nothing. So you have, you have that kind of like low variance ish type of player. In addition to in soccer, there, there isn't as much scoring in soccer, right? We see slates where there's four games and a grand total of three goals between all four games. So to win a GPP, you're pretty much going to need all three goal scorers, right? assuming it's one's not a substitute or something, because you're typically not, you're rarely ever uh, rostering substitutes. So uh, people compare it to like NHL because the scoring tends to be lower, but it's not as correlative because in NHL, typically you, you get two assists on a lot of plays, on a lot of goals, and there are, there are distinct lines. So like you're going to play, you know, the uh, the first line, the second line, the power play line. And you go, okay, I'm going to play all three guys. I'm going to play four guys from the same line and try to get the goal and the two assists from them. In soccer, it doesn't really work that way. MLS does have a secondary assist, but in, in every, every other league, it's just one assist and uh, the, the assists aren't as, as predictable. It's more likely to come from a set piece taker because it's, uh, you know, on a set play, They're going to be the ones taking the free kick, but in open play. I mean, if they, they're through balls through the middle, there are crosses from the wings. So like assists are, are, are a much higher variant. Uh, So the the correlation between the goal and assist, I mean, you'd love to get it, but it's kind of hard to pick those guys out because you are probably not going to roster in soccer, like five guys from the same team on an, on a normal size slate. Cause it's just that the teams don't score that many goals. Right. I mean, yes, there are some games that are five, nothing, six, nothing. And yeah, if you stack that team, you're, you're great. But in a game that's the two to one, it's very unlikely that taking five, five players from one team is is, is going to get you there in GPPs. Like, uh, most of the points are going to go through two or three players and you are going to have two guys that are sitting there with two points. So it's less likely that you want to do that. But we also have the fact that not every goal has an assist. I think less than half the goals even have an assist at all. There's a deflection, there's a rebound. You're not, you're not going to see assist uh, on that goal at all. So in correlation wise in in soccer, the goal is set. You'd love to see it, but I don't think it's it's the at the forefront of your mind. I think the correlations in soccer that you're looking for are uh, a defender goalkeeper because there's a clean sheet bonus of three points. For defenders and five points for the goalkeeper so defender plays 60 minutes and the, the the team doesn't give up any goals they get an extra three points and that obviously correlates to the goalkeeper win and clean sheet so a lot of times in gpp you'll be correlating defenders and goalkeepers and then you have the obvious one where you're unlikely to roster uh attacking players from from the opposing team from your goalkeeper right if you want your goalkeeper to have 20 points, win, clean sheet, five saves. Well, obviously anyone that you roster from the other side of the game is going to have a limited ceiling because they can't score a goal or get an assist or your goalkeeper gets gets ruined, right? So those would be the basic correlations in soccer DFS that more, more likely than not, you're going to be pairing a defender with a goalkeeper and you're not going to be playing attackers from the opposing team. Now, there are situations where an attacking that... There are games, goalkeeper is very high variance. There are games where the goalkeeper gets eight saves, winkling sheet, and a guy from the other side of the game who may be like 4,000 still ends up with 18 points, right? Taking six shots and six shots on goal because they get saved. <coughs> Punch bunch of crosses, chances created, and that guy ends up being optimal anyway. So it's not like a be-all, end-all, but it's less likely. It's very similar to baseball where... You know, you could you could probably roster one guy against your pitcher if he's the guy that hits the the two home runs that the pitcher gives up, right? And but the pitcher still has ten strikeouts and gets the win. Like it's possible, but it's less likely in soccer DFS. So if you are playing soccer DFS, isn't there? There's a two game uh, Champions League slate today. The two get the short slates in soccer just uh, brutal. They're just especially in cash games because it's like it's like you're. It's like a one V one. It's like, and in soccer, it's like, if you're, if you're luck box, if you get the luck box goal, you win. That's it. End of story. That's why I prefer five, six game slates. Even these three gamers on Saturdays are kind of meh, right? Once COVID's kind of over and then they, they're able to like play all the games or most of the games at the same time. So they're not spacing it out for TV purposes. I think it'll be a little bit better. So, but if you want to get into soccer DFS, you should sign up for Roto grinders premium hit the link in the description, get $10 off your first month. We've, we've good soccer projections. Uh, we've uh, uh, Sean Newsham and uh, Alex Harden, PSU fans too, and fear my turtle. They're, they're two of the best uh, soccer DFS players uh, you know, on draft teams. they I mean, they're, they're, they're on my block list, right? We don't even play each other in head to heads. That's how small the lobby is, right? My 10 block list on DK is all, it's all DFS soccer, right? Cause I post the 215s and one Oh nines and, you know, every Saturday, and it's like, I, I, I want schmucks to take my games. I don't want the sharpest guys in the lobby. We're already in all the double ups as it is. So, so if you want to sign up to Roto-Grinders Premium, the soccer chat uh, is always is always going. Uh, Sean and Alex are always in there answering questions. I'm in there every once in a while, right? It's it's I'm not in charge of the soccer stuff or anything. So, so I'm there just as a, I'm playing today. Oh, okay, whatever. Uh, okay, going through the YouTube chat. Yes, Stephen Martin, you do lose points for a yellow car. Yes, you do. Uh, uh, Kai Roach says, watch the show yesterday. You mentioned you don't need to watch MMA to play DFS. But I would say that the Vegas odds are frequently way off. Like Megan Anderson wins maybe one fight in a thousand off of Amanda. No, not. really? You think so? That has a, a 0.1% chance? you'll know you'll know you, you you don't care about the actual odds you care about the relative odds i know on that slate when when amanda Nunes is a minus 950 favorite the next biggest favorite i think that slate was like minus 350 so like what do i need to know all i'm doing is rostering i, have to, I only i have to roster six six fighters out of 15 fights out of 30 fighters so Like, yes, she's the biggest favorite and here's the next biggest favorite and whatever. So like, to me, the actual odds don't matter as much. I still have to roster six fighters, no matter what. I don't know why she was that. I I didn't have any. I played 65 lineups. I had zero Megan Anderson, but we've seen weird stuff in MMA. Dude, we've seen weird stuff. Maybe not, maybe it wasn't going to happen in that fight. Honestly, honestly. I think maybe Amanda Nunes should have been like 10-5 on that slate, uh, but they don't make anyone that 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 high. But you see, she didn't even score over hundred points. The problem with Nunes on that slate is that she wins in a minute. If she doesn't win within a minute, like it's unlikely she's gonna like you, you. You did really think that fight was gonna go three rounds to decision? No, right? Did, uh, did you're not even sure if it's gonna get to the second round? But are there gonna be an are there gonna be enough strikes? Are they gonna be enough? other points being scored that the 90 plus whatever ends up being enough points for 9,600. That was more of the question with uh, Nunez on Saturday. It was not whether or not she was going to win, right? It would be a humongous upset if she lost, but we've seen those upsets before. We've seen it before. I played during COVID all the time. You know, There was one guy that was like a minus 800 favorite that like lost in 30 seconds. Because one punch could change the course of an entire fight so yes i, I megan anderson was like eight percent owned. not i'm like okay okay if you want to do that i there were there were enough lower owned players lower on fighters that weren't like that big of an underdog that taking megan anderson at eight per, if megan anderson was one percent owned okay maybe maybe throw him in a lineup maybe it happens but most likely it doesn't uh, let's see going through the YouTube chat. This is all YouTube chat questions. So whatever you want to talk about, I'll talk about. Okay. And it'll go as long as, as long as it goes. If it ends up being a 20 minute show, then that's your problem. Then you, you screwed up. (laughs) People are talking about tomorrow's NBA slate. Who the hell knows what's going on tomorrow? Why are we even talking about it? Dario Rosenstock asks, is there a field size small enough where you should no longer be stacking to the full extent in your MLB NHL lineups. Well, I can't really talk to, about NHL because I don't play it. So I'll, I'll, I'll just talk about MLB. The smaller the slate, it's not a field size issue. It's a slate size issue. The smaller the slate, the uh, the better way to put it is the bigger the slate, the more, the more you should be stacking only. The smaller the slate, the less. Doesn't mean you don't. But you're considerate. The, the power of correlation goes down, okay? So understand in MLB, the, your ceiling in MLB lineups comes from a team scoring double-digit runs, 10-plus runs, 12-plus runs, 15 runs, okay? And it does happen in baseball. Remember, baseball is not a time in the game. So they could bat six, seven, eight times. If, if, if they're not getting outs, they keep on batting which means your stack keeps on collecting plate opportunities and points. So if there's, if it's a 15 game slate, there's 30 teams on the slate. Who They're all going to be owned to some extent, right? Some, a stack of all the teams are going to be owned to some extent. So one out of, as long as one out of those 30 teams scores a whole bunch of runs, that stack wins. That's going to be the winning GPP in the the, the five man stack and DK or at least the four man stack is likely to be in the winning GPP lineup. But you have 30 teams that have a chance of doing that. So the likelihood of one out of the 30, putting up enough runs for a five man stack to win is very high. Now let's say it's a four game slate. Well, now there's only eight teams on a, there's less, there's less the number of teams that have the opportunity to put up 15 runs, 10 runs, 12 runs, something like that. In a four game slate, maybe the high scoring team only scores seven runs. Maybe the high scoring team only scores five runs. But if the high scoring team only scores five runs, you're probably not going to need to stack, right? If it's just like a home run and a couple RBIs or whatever, you may only need two or three players from that team. And because there's less games on the slate, there's less likelihood that one of those teams puts up 10 plus runs. So on a four-game slate, while stacking five-man is still, still optimal, probably, that's probably what you're more likely to do. Putting these four-three-ones and three-three-twos and stuff together in less correlative lineups has, has more of a purpose, more viability, because you're, you're betting on the, that there being no team on the slate that puts up enough runs that a five man stack gets there. But on these the larger slates, 10, 10 plus games, like you're you're more, more likely than not, one of those teams is gonna put enough runs for for the stack to pay off. You may not know which team it is, but one of those teams will, most likely. You do get yeah, you do get some 12 game slates where like the high scoring team only scored six runs. You do get you do get some of them, but it's just less likely. So it's less to me on the field size than the slate size. You're using correlation in baseball, so you, you only have to get one thing right, right? That, that's the main reason to do it. Because you do it in, in, in NFL, you stack more in small field contests as it is. You're more likely to game stack <coughs> three plus two in small field contest. Well, you don't have to hit the nuts. You don't have to get the one-offs from every game that put up three touchdowns. So understand the difference between field size and slate size. Okay. Because yes, because we, we see in, in NFL, you go all oh, the smaller field size, you don't need as much correlation. It's like, no, no, you're right. You don't need as much correlation to, to reach your ceiling. You're actually, the more correlation you're building to your lineup actually lowers your ceiling, but it decreases the amount of stuff that you have to get right. And when you're playing against 200 players, not a hundred thousand. Like you don't need, you don't need the, the guy, the 2% on guy. that got 37 points in some random game on the slate that he's the only guy in that game that is worth playing. You, you could still win a, a small field GPP because that guy is not going to matter that much. You're not going to need all the one-offs in the Millie maker. You're probably going to need it. You're going to need the outlier performances in nearly your entire lineup. So taking one off here, one off there, one off there is more viable less correlative, more viable in, in large field contests in NFL. Yet stacking the full game, sick guys from a game, four, two types of stacks, you're, you're less likely to do that in large field unless obviously the game goes off for 96 points. Yeah, that's gold. But if the game goes over, a game has 55 points in it, but you get you capture like almost all the production from the game. You only have to get that one thing right and you get you know one or two good one-offs and then you win a 200... 200-entry field contest. So, so consider the differences between slate size and field size. They're different. What, is, what, what, what are the chances something happens in a, a, larger field, a larger slate size versus a smaller slate size? Two-game slate? You're actually almost in NBA, you're almost looking for negative correlation now because now you have to worry about duplication. Let's see. Going through the YouTube chat. Matt Meier says for MLB projections, does the Bat actually give a larger edge over the RG projections for GPPs, since they are both using the same projected ownership? Well, ownership projections are different than than player projections. The difference between the Bat and RG projections is that Cardi uses utilizes a, a a lot more data. So RG projections are still good, but they're that if you were to build your own model, like you're more likely to be in line with, with RG projections. It's the, the, the accepted predictive variables go into that, which are good, which you, which are good around the industry. Car A, a lot of times from a directional standpoint, the RG projections and the bat projections will be somewhat similar, right? Bad pitcher in cores, the visiting team. I mean, like, well, of course I get to project well, right? I mean, like, yeah, Jacob Degrom is going to project. Is he going to project for twenty four or twenty two? That's going to be the difference. Is 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 uh, the the team that the, the team facing the crappy pitcher, you know, is the cleanup hitter going to project for nine point six or nine point one? Like that. That's the difference. The bat incorporates a lot more data. Cardi, I mean, because that's what pretty much Cardi does full time. Is analyzing data. He has the bat X now, which includes all the Statcast data, and he's and he's and he's been at he's been at modeling in baseball for a long time. So you just get a lot more variables. So a lot of times the bat, from a directional standpoint, is going to be similar to the industry, but there there are going to be outliers. I, I I especially find it true when it comes to pitching. That a lot a lot of the models around the industry. Uh, don't have as nearly as many variables, uh, and and back taste, tested you know the weight back testing, you know, and the regression that that Cardi does, and it affects I think pitching more than anything. There are a lot of times that you go into a slate, and the pitching projections are significantly enough different from around the industry, or even the RG projections of like this sixty eight hundred dollar pitcher that is projecting for like eleven points in rg projections like cardi will have it like 15 and a half and go like no no this this pitcher is in a much better spot based on all the data that he has that he's analyzing and and sometimes you're getting those pictures to like six percent owned, right so a lot of people that have been using the bat for a long time know that like sp2 those sp2 types right like it's just amazing sometimes like over the long run over the 162 game season like you're going to show a profit just off the, the SP twos or which SP one to fade. Right. It's like, Oh, everyone, this guy's going to be popular. He's, you know, it's 10, seven, Aaron Nola or something like that. And for some reason, based on Cardi's data, it's like the $9,800 pitcher That's like, eh, whatever, like actually projects better than what's going to be the higher owned like 10, seven pitcher. And then, yeah, sometimes. Yeah, it, it, it's a projection. It's a range of outcomes. It's not like it's guaranteed or anything. But I've used the bat for three years, and over the course of a full season, like those pitching projections are, because you get a lot of times you're, you're 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 becoming contrarian just by the basis of your projections. Hitters on the other end, I mean, the hitters are hitters. But, I mean, that's variant as it is. But I mean, but, that, but that's the main reason I use the bat because a, a lot of extra variables. You can still be fine with the RG projections. You can absolutely be fine. A lot of MLB is just stacking and praying, okay? I'm, t- I'm telling you the truth in GBBs. Going, who, who is everyone playing? How can I play the fourth popular team, right? How can I play? What team is being 12th in ownership, but really has the five, fifth best chance of being the top scoring team? We have Slate IQ at, uh, at Roto-Grinders for premium. And I use that heavily for baseball it's not as useful for NBA. It's not as useful for a, a less correlative sport, but for a correlative sport like, uh, like MLB. I mean, that's, I mean, that's to me, that's all I need. I mean, truthfully, I could use the bat or, or whatever projections and, and slate IQ. And that's it. That's all I need. Right. It'll say, it'll say oh, the that the, the Dodgers have an 8.8% chance of being the top, the top stack. And they're going to be owned 15%. And I'm like, okay, they're going to be overowned, right? Let's see how I can get that. And then you look, you, how do you get different? You see, you know, the, the, the Milwaukee Brewers are 4.2% chance of being the top stack, but they're going to be owned like 1.4%. It's like, okay, there's, there's the team I'm playing today, right? And there you go from there. So to me, like baseball, baseball is a, to me a lot more, a lot more game theory than basketball. Because of the correlation, because of the, the correlation and leverage almost batters more than the projections. Because it's such a variance, a high variance sport. If you Get four or five at bats, whoops, up, ground out, fly ball at the warning track, clocked. You know, that could have been a home run, but it wasn't. Didn't go the extra two or three feet. And Now you guys sitting there with zero. That happens every day. Rob B.S., does the World Cup have DFS? Yeah, we had the World Cup, uh, what, two years ago, three years, two or three years ago popular yeah when the world cup comes around i yet i mean that year in 2018 i didn't even play baseball i didn't play mlb dfs because i was concentrating on world cup that world cup goes on for like six seven weeks and they play every day different groups every day so like like screw baseball i'm playing soccer yaz's army says in golf dfs it seems like getting all six golfers through is paramount you obviously would you say projections are not as important to use to define the winners, but to use to try to get all six golfers through? I, I guess you could. A lot of times you could look, you could look at, at, at betting odds. I mean, the, 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 the sports book odds, because you could look at not just to win, like to top five, to top 10, to top 20. We have PGA projections for that. But the actual median number, the, I, I don't know if it means anything. Like when I, when I do play PGA, which is rare now, I don't do the same thing Of I'm looking at the median points and adding up. How much p- p- median am I sacrificing for ownership? Like the medians to me don't really even matter. The whole thing is like, what's their chance of making the cut and what's the chance of coming in the top five, right? Like that's pretty much it, right? The, the actual scoring, like at the end of the day, if you don't make the cut, it doesn't matter what the median is, right? It doesn't matter. And then if you make the cut and you come in sixty second place, it really doesn't matter either. So it's kind of like, that. how often are you going to make the cut, and how often are you going to come in a top five finish? So that's what I care about more than, than the combined ownership of the, the combined ownership of the lineup matters. But the actual median number, I really don't care that much about. Uh, Josh plays DFS. asks, once MLB starts, will you focus on that over NBA? Uh, I don't know what we're gonna do during the overlap, but I, it, it will slowly transition to more MLB right? I'd much rather i, I I'm, I'm getting sick the of the end the headache of NBA but yeah when, like I'm assuming that once once uh, once MLB starts we'll be more MLB focused than NBA focused because really it only overlaps by about a month I mean I, I and I'll, I guess I'll talk about NBA also. Like during that month period, we could go over some stuff. But remember in in NBA, remember this show's on at 11 o'clock in the morning, so a lot of times in NBA, what the hell does it matter? We may review yesterday's slate, but talking about the day's slate when we all know that someone's gonna be out and this guy's gonna be sitting and like what am I really talking about Baseball, it? Baseball, it's easier. Baseball, 11 o'clock in the morning, you'll be like, other than some rare instances, of like the picture not being known until later in the afternoon or obviously platoons, like, you know, is the left league going to bat as a guy day to day batting order wise, you know, like that type of stuff, but that's, isn't as paramount to like, no, we knew, Oh, we can't do anything with the Dodgers until we know if Max Muncy's playing. Like it doesn't. Yeah, sure. It'll affect the team stack size and the positionals and stuff, but it's not the type of thing. Oh, if Muncy's out, that means you got to play all the Dodgers. Like, no, it doesn't work that way in baseball. In Basketball, it does. Giannis is out. You got to play all the bucks. You know, that doesn't happen in, in MLB. So that's why I think talking about the, the current day slate coming up for this show, I think is going to be a little bit more viable for MLB than it will be for NBA. Even though people still ask NBA questions. Who are you playing today? Who knows? Right. We go over some stuff. And most of the time, if you listen five hours later, you'd be like, why were they talking about these guys? No one's rostering them because these three guys are out and now everyone's rostering those guys. Let's see. Through the YouTube chat, some more. Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. People are asking each other's questions. That's perfectly fine. We just meet. We just, that's what we should do. Just meet. I just sit here and do nothing and you guys answer your own questions. Right. Dario Rosenstock is putting, you're right. Dario Rosenstock is saying, when I said it before about the correlation in MLB, is that in large slates, it's more likely that there's going to be a team that puts up a lot of points, right? A lot of runs. But in a smaller field size, it's less likely that that team may be stacked. So that's what, like, that's why not worrying about the correlation as much. But the problem still comes in there is that in small field contests, if you could get the one thing right, you probably win. So even on even on a large slate of 15 games, 30 teams, yeah, maybe the 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 1% owned team that puts up 16 runs, that stack is really not even owned in that contest. So whoever the second highest owned stack, I mean whoever the whoever scored eight runs wins that. And the five man wins that. So like, you, you only have to get one thing right in a 200 man, 300 man contest. So it's not the matter. Like I still would not say, well, I'm going to pick one guy here and one batter there and one batter here and one batter. There. Like, what's the point of that? Just stack a team. Maybe you do five, one, 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 right? You still have three one-offs. Maybe you're doing four, three, one. Maybe you're doing something like that. But even though it's a small field, you still don't want to take one off. You still don't want to do that. You have to, you you might as well bet home run parlays at that point. If you're going to do that, if you're going to take, if you're going to take eight batters and pretty much to win a GPP, you're going to need like at least double digit points or something out of most of them, go to a sports book and bet on the home run parlays and parlay them all together. You'll make more money that way. It's much easier to just like, I think this team, the twins are going to score nine plus runs I'm going to take one, three, four, five, seven, or whatever. And you play, make multiple iterations of that type of stack. One, two, four, five, eight, and two, three, four, five, six, or whatever you want to do. If the twins put up nine runs, you're probably good. In a small field, right? You don't have to be perfect. So there's more value in doing that, even though it is a smaller field. And it's less likely that that a 1% owned stack that puts up 15 runs kills you. You're right. But what happens if that stack is a 10% not stack? Well, then you're dead, right? Because enough people are going to have that stack. Let's go through the YouTube chat. I always have to scroll down and then up, down and up. Talk to someone asking about the bottom of the order stack. Do you, uh, Robby, do you find yourself stacking the bottom of the order of chalky teams for leverage? Uh, typically not. I may include a bottom of the order player. Understand that the lower the order that you go, the less plate opportunity expectation there is. So you're purposefully giving yourself less opportunities than other, they're just less plate appearances. I'm more likely to use, utilize a bottom of the order hitter, but not build a bottom of the order stack. So I'm less likely to play, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, right? Five, six, seven, eight, nine. Re- you'll rarely ever see those stacks out of me i'm more likely to do eight one you know like a one two three four eight one two three four nine something like that or uh it's a three three four five eight nine three four five seven eight or something like that i'm not going the complete bottom of the order but it all depends on the pricing and the positions. I'm less likely to do a bottom of the order stack that fills all three outfield spots. Like, to me, that's crazy. Uh, yes, it'll work out every once in a blue moon, but like to just lock yourself out from points from any other game to take less plate appearances in the outfield, which the opportunity cost is always the highest. Like, to me, that's that's stupid. Catchers, middle infielders, give it to me. That's fine. That That's what I'm looking for. I don't mind taking a ninth hitter that's a second baseman on a slate that doesn't have weak second base is catchers catchers. I don't even care where they bat in the order. I'm more likely to take, if I'm going to, if I'm going to pay down a catcher, they're more likely to just be part of what What I don't even care where they bat. We're part of the order. If they're ninth. I don't care. A lot of times catcher is just like a wasteland unless you're rostering, you know, real Muto or Gary Sanchez, or you know, someone up at the top, you know, Yasmani Grandal, those type of guys. Most of the time it's like, Who's the catcher for this team? They're the fifth guy in the stack. Jacob Stallings giving to me pirates, eighth catcher. who cares at that point? Cause the opportunity cost the catcher is low, but an outfield first base. Like I'm less likely to take, you know, like, Oh, I'm, gonna, I'm stuck in the bat- bottom of the order. And the bottom of the order is two outfielders, a first baseman and a third baseman. It's like, I'm just, I'm filling spots. I'm getting less plate appearances now. Expectation wise, because they're bottom, they're batting further down in the order. Uh I'm getting less played appearance at the most, at the, at the highest scoring positions on average. So why would I want to do that? Second baseman shortstop, those types of that then then we then we could start talking. I don't mind filling those positions with lower batting order type of hitters. But it's very rare, like Byron Buxton. Like there's there's a perfect guy that I rarely ever roster right? When he's, he's outfield and batting ninth for the Twins. And say, so, yeah, sometimes he does get there, even batting ninth. But like that's someone that typically I'm not, I'm, they're not, not in any of my lives. I'm not going to fill an outfield spot, the guy with one less or two less plate appearances from other players in the player. pool. I'm more likely, doesn't mean I never do it, just I'm, more, I'm less likely to do it. Can I sp- speak at all about the upcoming Australian football DFS? I have no idea. I have no idea. I don't even know how it works. The ball is kind of oblong and it bounces and it's a circle. And there's field goals on the other two sides of the circle. I don't even know how it's played. It's kind of like rugby, but it's not. Australian rules football. I I wouldn't know. I have no idea. Look at the projections. I mean, that's, I don't even know how it works. Let's see. Go through the YouTube chat some more. Right. Alex Santi says, says exactly the same, like bottom of the order in chalk stacks are about as owned as the fifth highest stack or so with the lowest, lower success projection. Right. Right. If you're playing the chalk stack, I mean, you, you, you probably in order for those bottom of the order hitters to even do well, the top of the order hitters probably do well also. Right. So you're not getting sneaky. You're not like, you know, you're stacking the bottom of the Dodgers order. The Dodgers put up 12 runs. I mean, Bellinger probably got there. Muncy probably got there. Seager probably got there to some extent, right? It's more likely the better hitters in the lineup. So now you're taking, now I, I want those guys. I want the bottom of the guys. And the bottom of the guys are still going to be owned because it's going to be the Chalks team. You're still going to get a, a Matt Beattie or, you know, whoever is at the bottom of the order, Enrique Hernandez, that's still going to be even on a large slate. If they're, the, the Dodgers, the Dodgers average ownership is like 15, 17%. Those guys will still be four or 5% owned. So it's not like, they, it's not like they're unowned. So if anything, take the me, take the, take the good players and then throw in, you know, if you're going to play a five man stack, take, take Bellinger, Muncie, Seager, and then you throw in two guys at the bottom and you go, okay. Or one guy at the bottom. It's like, that's good enough. How much leverage do you need, especially on larger slates? Like you don't, you you, you almost never have to do any type of duplication calculation because it's just, there's, there's so many, you're, you're rostering 10 guys and it's, and it's a 12, 13 game slate. And you're going to have, you know, even your, once you combine the stack together, like you're almost unique there as it is. 12% plus 8% plus 6%. I mean, like we're not talking about basketball where, you have 47% on guys and 68% on guys. So you don't have to worry that people get so worried about, oh, I can't play, can't play any of the chalk. It's like, what are you kidding me? Like you can make any lineup you want. Uh, Heat Nation 7, what is your specific list of elite pitchers you don't stack against? Well, I mean, I don't have a specific list, but it, the reason I don't stack against like the Garrett Coles, the Shane Biebers, the Justin Verlanders, like those types is that it's very rare that they get they get blown up to win a GPP. You need to get you need to get blown up, like give up ten runs. And when they get blown up, even like a Chris Sale, he gets blown up every once in a while. Garrett Cole gets blown up, but what's blown up to them? Giving up six runs and still striking out a ton of people. So it's not like it's not like the teams are getting tons of base runners, so the stack goes off. It's more the type of thing that it's a walk, it's two walks, and then a three-run homer. And then he strikes out five guys in a row, and then it's a walk, it's a single, and then it's a three-run homer. So it's like, who's getting the points there? Yeah, they scored six runs, eight runs. Not all five. It's going to be like three guys. So it's like stacking against elite pitchers like that tend to be just, it's just not worth it, especially on larger slates. Smaller slates, maybe you can think about it some more. I'm more likely to stack against pitchers that are not as good, or still good, good pitchers, but not like elite pitchers, but there's only so many. I mean, this I mean, how many people were we talking about 10 pitchers, maybe at most everyone else. I don't mind. Like, I don't even mind. I don't mind. I don't even mind stacking against Giolito sometimes. Sometimes his, his stuff is off, right? But I'm less likely to, because you have more options, three game slate. Okay. Then, then it's understandable. When we have 12-game baseball slates, you have 24 pitchers to stack against. Why are you going to stack? Oh, well, everyone's playing the Grum, and I'm going to stack against the Grum. Well, you could find the same own type of stack from someone else. No one's paying playing the Tigers because they're horrible. So play them against whoever. Against a, a middle, middle of the road. Middle, you know, against John Lester or something. I mean, well, why not? They're going to be about his own as... as as the stack against the stud pitcher, so so why bother? There's, there's enough options. Jacob Calloway says, "What about the nuance of MLB? It's not the nuance, but makes outfield spots have the highest opportunity cost. Is it that the best MLB players play outfield? I don't thought three slots means less cost than third base, where there's only one slot. No, there's three every every entry every lineup." Gets to roster three outfielders. Now on a three, let's let's talk about a ten game slate to make it even even type of mathematically. Ten game slate is pretty big. There's twenty teams. Each team has three outfielders. Sometimes they have there's four outfielders eligible. Okay, so on a ten game slate with twenty teams, there's sixty outfielders to play. There's, on, there's only there's only twenty catchers to play, pretty much. There's only twenty third basemen. There's only twenty, so out of those sixty, you get to roster three of them. Okay, when you ro- if if you roster a first baseman, so let's say you have Paul Goldschmidt. Okay, I'm talking about DraftKings. This is not FanDuel. So DraftKings, Paul Goldschmidt. Let's let's put take three first basemen. Paul Goldschmidt, Freddie Freeman, and a first base only eligible player, uh, Luke Voigt. Right. Someone that is only eligible at first base. If each of them hit a home run, if each of them hit, like, no, each of them hit two home runs, they each hit two home runs. They're sitting there with 20, 26 points. If you have Paul Goldschmidt with 26 points, great. But if I have Freddie Freeman with 26 points, it, it doesn't matter if I I'm not scared of Paul Goldschmidt anymore. Why? because no one could roster both of them. No one could possibly roster Freddie Freeman and Paul Goldschmidt. And Luke Voigt has 26 points also. No one could roster all three of them. You're not, no one could win with two of them. They only are eligible in one slot and you could only play them in one slot. So if all three of them hit, to have two home run games, as long as I have one of those three, who cares that the other two hit double donged? right? Outfield is a different story. If Mike Trout hits three home runs and Mookie Betts hits three home runs and some other uh, J.D. Uh, Martinez hits three home runs, you, a lineup could have all three of them in it because you could roster three outfielders and there's 60 to choose from. So the opportunity cost at outfield, getting, having an outfielder with zero, with three, there's now 59 other outfielders that other players could have that fit that slot. But then we take a look at catcher, for instance. If no catcher hits a home run on the slate, you could win a GPP with zero in your catcher spot, right? If no one, even if a catcher hits a home run, if they're two with nothing owned, even then you probably don't even need them. So the opportunity cost to catcher is low. Yes, if you have the catcher that hit two home runs, you're probably going to need them. But you can only roster one of them. You don't have to worry if four catchers hit home runs, well, as long as you have one of those four catchers, you're fine. They each have 14 points. No one could roster two of them. An outfield, that's different. Even the multiple position eligibility, that's different. When a guy's first base and outfield eligible. That's why I didn't mention, like, Bellinger. Like, Bellinger, a lot of times, is first base outfield. So now if Bellinger hits two home runs, and Goldschmidt hits two home runs, and Voigt hits two home runs, and Freddie Freeman hits two home runs, well, you can have one of those other three guys and Cody Bellinger in the outfield, right? So the outfield spot ends up becoming a little bit more of a utility position. So there are lineups that could roster multiple guys like that. But in the single, if, once once guys are only eligible at one slot and you can only fit them in one slot, this is why I say that it's DraftKings only because remember, Fanduel does have a utility position. So you can roster two first basemen. DraftKings, you can't. So that's why on DraftKings the opportunity cost at outfield is very high, because out of the sixty outfielders, if let's say twelve of them hit home runs, twelve let's say twelve of them have at least fifteen points, and four of them have over twenty points, you're most likely going to need three. You're going to need all three to win a large field GPP. So filling that outfield spot with the eighth hitter of your stack that's going to see three plate appearances possibly. And if they don't do it and they get a a single and a run and they have five points that, that may not cut it because there's going to be tons of other outfielders. You'd much rather, instead of having that outfielder in that slot, take the cheap catcher and then play a one-off outfielder, something like that. So that's what I mean by the outfield spots, having high opportunity cost on DraftKings. I hope that's understandable. I think I'm making sense. Kai Roach still, you're asking still about Australian football? Like, how do you figure out stacking strategies? Just wait for others to figure it out? No, watch the sport. See how the sport is scored. Figure like, okay, how do the players interact with one another? Is there substitutions? Are there minutes? I mean, I literally don't even know how it's played. I don't know. When guy One guy passes the ball or runs it this way. Does another guy get points at the same time another guy gets points? Like, you have to figure that out. I have no idea. You have to watch the sport. I don't know. So it's approaching a new sport. Like I've never, I've never, I've, I've never approached a new sport. Like every new sport from the perspective of at least I know how the sport is played. Like, yes. Like, like I know, I know before I played NBA DFS, I didn't follow basketball for 20 years, but it's like, I know how the, I know how the game of basketball is played. All right. I I know, I know the mechanics of how it, of how it's scored. Right. Even if you're getting into soccer, it's like, well, what's the scoring system? What is a cross? What is a chance created? How do players, a goal and assist? I mean, like, you still know how soccer works. I, I don't know how Australian football is played, let alone scored. So I had to, to figure out how the sport is even played to begin with. Like even MMA, like, I, okay, I didn't watch MMA for God knows how long. It's still a matter of like, who's going to win the fight? <laughs> at, the, at the end of the day, most it's who's going to win the fight pga who's gonna who's gonna who's gonna place the highest most likely they've gotten the most birdies and eagles and stuff like that but you know how golf is played like i don't know i don't like yeah i don't follow golf i have no idea how golf is played no i know how golf is played i want the guy that hits it the furthest and getting and gets in the hole before the before the number of par yeah i mean like yeah there you go how do the golfers relate to one another I really don't so i don't have to worry about that Any other questions before we get out of here? We were able to fill the time, see? We got some questions. Not not not, not, we didn't even get stupid questions. This is the smart stream. When I used to when I do the during football season, when I do the Saturday streams, whatever. That's the stupid that's stupid Saturdays. Weekdays now, then we get the smart people in the chat. People helping each other out, people asking questions. Not many, you know, who do I play tonight? What picks? what's going on tomorrow, who's going to smash, who knows. Everything has a probability attached to it. Your, your job is to put together a little portfolio of players that has the highest probability for the least amount of ownership. There you go. The less people, that that's it. That's DFS. That's what it is. But that's why I'm here. I'm here. And you could learn all those types of concepts in my course. Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports, how to think like a professional DFS player. 15-hour audio masterclass. It's me in your pocket. So you'll you'll, you'll just learn. You can reference this anytime you want. See the table of contents here? Game objectives, player selection, expected value, leverage, correlation, construction, risk management, exploits, psychology, a whole bunch of testimonials. A lot of people have bought it, said good things about it. So go to theoryofdfs.com, pick that up. And maybe maybe you, you won't have uh, as, as many as many questions They're the, all the answered it's all in one spot a lot of stuff i talk about is is in the course it's just a matter of it's now it's all in one place it's structured it's like coming to a seminar it's like if I ran a two-day seminar at some you know hotel at a Ramada inn and I had a little PowerPoint presentation right, this is this and that's this and here is that like that's what that is so feel free to go pick it up at theoryofdfs.com. Tomorrow, we got a two-game slate, so who knows? Maybe it's just still taking more questions. Two-game slate on Wednesday, and then is back in full effect, uh, the headache known as NBA DFS. But I'll be here helping you out, like I do every weekday, Monday through Friday, at 11 o'clock in the morning on YouTube for the Roto-Grinders DFS pregame show which is also found at rotogrinders.com.